the narrative of Acts 13 and 14 begins with and ends with uh, the church in Antioch at Syria. Uh, the story of Acts 15 also begins in that church uh, in Antioch. Uh, great things were happening there. The gospel was being proclaimed, uh, and great numbers were coming to faith in Christ uh, from all kinds of different backgrounds and people groups. And there were, there were Jews, uh, but there were also a lot of Gentiles. Uh, and the, the mission of Jesus, as he spelled it out in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, was being realized, and it was uh, so exciting. Uh, it says there, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the laws of Moses, you, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So uh, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both uh, Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail uh, the conversion of the Gentiles, and, and it brought great joy to all of the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, uh, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles uh, and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up, and they said, It is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. That's Acts 15, verses 1 through 5. Uh, so the apostles and elders gathered together to consider the matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he, he, and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. That's Acts 15, verses 6 uh, through 11. Now, you have to know that Peter's words carried a lot of weight that day. So much, in fact, that when he finished speaking, it says that all the assembly fell silent. Uh, then uh, Barnabas and Paul told their stories of what they had seen God do, including the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the, the Gentiles. That's in verse 12. Then, after they finished speaking... James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it was written. After this, I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles 
who turn to God, but we should write them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaimed him. For he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. That's Acts chapter 15, verses 13 through 21. Uh, what we read next uh, could be considered a very remarkable thing. In verse 22, it says that uh, it seemed good then to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and uh, Barnabas. Um, that they were able to talk through the issues and strongly held convictions that day uh, and in the light of the scripture come to a clear consensus uh, is no small feat. Uh, Bible commentator David uh, Gluzik um, writing in his Enduring Word commentary, says that much of the credit should go to the men of verses 1 and 5 uh, who allowed themselves to be convinced by the evidence from the Scriptures and by the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. The text then goes on to say that uh, they sent Judas, uh, called uh, Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles, those in Antioch and in Syria and in Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and have troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men, and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, 
you will do well. Farewell. And that is chapter 15, verses 23 through 29. What a remarkable day this was. We need to understand what happened here. The, the message of the gospel was at stake. The issue was this. Are people saved by grace through faith alone? Or does our performance rule-keeping play a part in our salvation? Is the gospel faith plus something? Or are we saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Uh, the last person to speak here is, is James. Uh, this isn't James, one of the twelve, the brother of John, who, whose father was Zebedee. You remember the sons of thunder. Uh, that James uh, was killed by Herod Agrippa, as you recall us uh, seeing in Acts chapter 12. This James is the brother of Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, and the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the author of the book of James. Um, and you could maybe see uh, a little bit about James' faith experience if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul talks about, James, uh, about Jesus appearing to James after his resurrection. And what is apparent in this text is that James has not only become a believer, but now he's risen uh, to this prominent position of leadership in the church at Jerusalem. Uh, to the point where he is leading this council. Now, the, the Pharisees, they might have thought they had an ally in James because his reputi uh, reputation uh, for, and his uh, reverence uh, for the law. Um, we can see that in his New Testament letter, the, the one that bears his name, the book of James. Um, he would become known as James the Just. Uh, but is, uh, as is evidenced here in this text, James uh, had come to an un understanding of the essence of the gospel uh, of grace in its purity. And uh, the process also here in this passage um, that we see is important um, as well as the outcome of the, the discussion. It was, it was a principal disagreement about the most important of matters, and these men were able to come together and to have respectful dialogue, though I suspect it did get heated at times and come to an agreement. And the author Luke wants us to see the role of respectful discourse, the authority of Scripture, and the critical leading of the Holy Spirit. And he wants us to recognize the authority of the consensus that was reached in this manner. Uh, James uh, begins by acknowledging the weight of the testimony given by Peter. Uh, Peter is called Simeon here, which would have been his Hebrew name, of course. Uh, and then James quotes the Old Testament book of Amos, from chap Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. And then he offers uh, uh, his judgment. Uh, much has been made of the four restrictions that the council included in their directives to the Gentile believers. They were instructed to abstain from things sacrificed uh, or polluted by idols, uh, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Um, commentators have tended to understand these restrictions as an attempt to maintain harmony between Jewish believers and Gentile believers in the first century church. Uh, this interpretation would make this a matter of fellowship. Uh, and, and the Jewish dietary laws were, after all, the most prime distinctives that Jews would have had in practice apart from circumcision. 
<laughs> that is. So the idea then that uh, we uh, would be that Gentile believers uh, should be considerate of the scruples or the consciences of their Jewish brethren and limit their liberties for the sake of love. And so they should abstain from eating things sacrificed to idols and from consumption of blood, not because it was wrong, but because it would offend the Jews. Uh, now, it does need to be understood and appreciated that the concept of not putting unnecessary stumbling blocks in front of others is a New Testament teaching. Paul himself expounds on that in a number of occasions in his letters. Uh, he, he talks extensively about it in Romans chapter 14. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And it's not just, not just in his writings because we see as we go through the book of Acts that Paul practiced that principle, that principle of limiting uh, liberties uh, out of love, um, even when it came to circumcision. Uh, in the very next chapter, in Acts chapter 16, Paul has Timothy circumcised uh, for that very reason. Uh, but just because uh, that principle uh, of not uh, the principle of limiting our liberty out of love or not putting stumbling blocks uh, in front of people or being mindful of other people's consciences even when we feel that something is okay, even though the principle is taught in the New Testament, that doesn't mean that it's being taught in this passage. And one of the problems with interpreting these restrictions in that way is that the second restriction listed is clearly not a Jewish scruple. It's not simply a matter of conscience because to abstain from sexual immorality is a universal requirement. All of us are expected at all times to abstain from sexual immorality. So is there another or better, more consistent way to understand these, these restrictions and what this is all about? Uh, a Bible commentator uh, by the name of David Dean has an explanation that I would lean toward. He says that the prohibitions against eating blood here, uh, that would be things strangled or the consumption of blood, is not from the Mosaic Law, but from actually uh, God's words to uh, Noah in Genesis chapter 9 where uh, God instructs Noah and his family that they can eat meat. And, uh, but they were forbidden to eat uh, uh, the blood of the animals. And uh, all these restrictions, all of these restrictions are uh, not, therefore not mosaic, but they are universal, and therefore they apply to uh, Gentiles and Jews alike. Uh, so we should abstain from idolatry, from sexual immorality, and from consuming blood or meat that hasn't been properly bled. Now, temple prostitutes were an integral part of the pagan worship of that day, uh, as was at times the consumption of blood. And so these restrictions were all about uh, the Gentiles avoiding, peg <coughs> excuse me, avoiding pagan worship in general. Um, not because it would offend the Jews, but because it was wrong. And so uh, uh, Dean actually says this, which I think is really uh, in, an interesting comment. He says, the dismissal of the Mosaic law as a binding rule of life for Christians was a monumental paradigm shift in their thinking. And it seems that God revealed it slowly and gently to the church. Uh, it was a long time coming. Uh, there's been a lot of years that have passed between uh, the Acts chapter 1 and 2 and Acts chapter 15. 
uh, more than a decade. And uh, uh, it's a remarkable day, this uh, council, this Jerusalem council that we see here. After all those years, it's monumental. Grace apart from the law is monumental. Remember Peter's words in in Acts chapter 15 when he stood to speak. Remember uh, what he says. Uh, Speaking of the Gentiles, he says, God cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? And then he said this, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. That sounds very, very similar to Paul's words in Galatians chapter 2. And I uh, wanna, want to uh, say once again that studying the New Testament letters in conjunction with the narrative of Acts is the best way to study both. And uh, the book of Galatians needs to be read in tandem with Acts chapter 15. And uh, two weeks from, uh, from now, Josh will take us into the book of Galatians, Lord willing. You know, Bible theologians, theologian James Montgomery Boyce points out something about Peter's words here that uh, has more significance than we probably realize. Uh, he points out that Peter didn't say, we believe they will be saved by grace just like us. That's what we would expect, and that's what those gathered may have expected Peter to say, uh, something like that. But he puts it the other way around. He says, listen, he says that we, Jews, will be saved by grace just like them, the Gentiles. The Jews tended to believe that the Gentiles, if they were to be saved, would only be saved by becoming like Jews. Peter infers in his comment that, uh, and this must have rocked the world, uh, that the Jews would be saved just like the Gentiles. In other words, not only, and this is really important, not only are the Gentiles not saved by circumcision or by keeping the law of Moses, but us Jews aren't saved by those things either. For we are saved, we believe, Peter says, by grace just like them. So what we're talking about here is the integrity of the gospel message. As a church, our mission is inseparable from our message. In order to make progress as a church, we have to stay on message. And that's easier said than done. It's it's about the gospel, making sure we know what it is and not allowing it to become anything else. That needs to be our focus and it needs to remain our focus because if we go off message, we go off mission. But there is something else I want to point out in this Acts 15 passage today. Uh, Would you take a look with me at the words uh, of the letter as it is addressed uh, there to uh, the Gentile believers in Antioch and the surrounding area? In Acts chapter 15, verse 23, as the letter begins, it begins with these words, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch. Back on Sunday, March 14th, I got to introduce this church at Antioch. 
such an amazing church. I talked then about the significant usage of the term brothers in the history recorded in the book of Acts. I can send you my notes on that if you would like, but if you simply read through the book of Acts, uh, looking for the, that term, uh, brothers, you will get uh, to see how often it is used. And you can take note that the first time it appears in the narrative to bridge the Jew-Gentile divide was in the church at Antioch. It's recorded in Acts chapter 11, and that's where the Gentile believers in Antioch addressed the Jewish believers at Jerusalem as brothers. That's significant. But this right here, Acts chapter 15, where we're at today, the Jerusalem Council, we call it, is the first time we hear it on the lips of Jewish believers in reference to Gentile believers. This is the first occurrence that I can find anyway in the Acts narrative where the Jewish church uses the term brother or brothers when addressing or referring to Gentiles. And the reason is that because, uh, because up to this point, there was no sense of brotherhood outside of the Jewish nation in the mind of the Jewish believer. It was, it was something they struggled with more than almost anything else. But look at those words again. Acts chapter 15, verse 23. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch. This is brothers speaking to brothers. Um, and you might wonder, okay, well, what does that have to do with the purity or the integrity of the gospel, if, if anything? And oh, it has so much to do with the gospel uh, and the gospel mission. First, we uh, reach out with the gospel, uh, and when we do, it needs to be the gospel. When we get off message, uh, we go off mission. So it's a gospel of grace, or, you know, Paul talks about it. Uh, he says, if it's not, in Galatians, if it's not the gospel of grace, then it's not the gospel. So that's the first thing. But here's the second thing. When we reach out with the gospel of grace, it needs to be us reaching out, which means us welcoming people into God's family, which is our family. That's how big a deal this is on a human level. It's one thing for me to accept someone who is like me. It's another thing for me to accept one because someone, because of the gospel, to accept someone who is much unlike me. Unity is not unity at any cost. Our unity is in the gospel not apart from it. It's gospel unity. So what exactly the gospel is needs to be guarded. It's not just Jesus plus anything else. Um, but when someone, and I should say anyone, responds sincerely to the invitation of Christ, that is the true gospel of grace, they become family. And we need to appreciate just how big that family is. Uh, what we have come to call the, the Jerusalem Council here in Acts 15, it represents a major shift in the book of Acts. From this point on, Peter disappears from the narrative. And this will be the last time uh, Jerusalem will be a focus of interest. Asia, Europe, and Rome will be more and more in the view. And just think for a moment of how all of the history of Israel recorded in the Old Testament, all that Old Testament account 
of the, you know, the, the, the prophets, the judges, the prophets, the kings, uh, the people of Israel, how it's focused on the promised land with Jerusalem, the holy city, the city of God, Mount Zion. Um, and remember those psalms that King David wrote about Jerusalem. And, and then here is the son of David going into all the world, the Messiah, the son of David, going into all the world. This is, a hard, this is the hard part for the Jews, to see their king on mission, rescuing the lost of the nations, bringing them into the family of God because he's Lord of all, Lord of all the earth. And every heart should belong to him. Without circumcision, without Sabbath keeping, without keeping the law of Moses, we are saved by grace and we are kept by grace because salvation is by grace, grace alone, through faith. Uh, a man, uh, commentator named Bob Diffenbaugh points out the two big ways that adding works to faith as a requirement for salvation undermines the gospel. He says, those who are self-righteous, thinking that their works will bring about their salvation, fail to attain the salvation for which they have labored because they reject God's offer of righteousness in Jesus. And those who are sinners and know it are deceived into thinking they are doomed because they do not have good works to offer as righteousness. I think his comments are uh, very uh, pertinent for our discussion today. There's one more paragraph to end our text uh, for this week, and that's verses 30 through 35 of Acts chapter 15, where it says, So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time there, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. I, I, I don't think you can read that without appreciating the use of the term brothers there once again. You know, the, the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the door of the household of God is swung wide open. Whosoever will may come. Revelation, the last chapter, the spirit and the bride. That's the Spirit of God and the bride of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit and the church. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who uh, thirsts come. And let the one who desires take uh, the water of the life, uh, water of life, without price. It's Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. So, this morning, maybe you have never responded to the gospel of grace. Maybe you're depending on your performance or 
some hoops that somebody else has erected for you to jump through, for you to find acceptance with God. And the, 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 the most important truth coming out of this whole passage is the integrity of the gospel message of Jesus Christ that is a gospel of grace. Not by our works, not by our merit, that we are saved, as Peter says, by the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Then along with that, if you maybe you have responded to that message and maybe you've, you're part of, of the, the, the greater family of God. Um, we need to be reaching out with that message. And when we reach out with the gospel, we need to be welcoming people uh, into God's family. And that means that we need to be accepting them as part of God's family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that needs to be our attitude. Uh, and it's, it's, it's so liberating and so wonderful uh, to be a part of God's great family. And I hope that we'll be able to, to spread that message of the gospel, not just in words, but in our actions and our attitudes as God's people, as we reach out to the others, even others who are unlike us. I pray that you will, uh, or I invite you to join me in prayer at this time, if you will, and we'll close our, our time together in prayer. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for the Jerusalem Council. Thank you for those men, for James and for Peter and Paul and Barnabas and for others. And, and thank you, Lord, for those who were um, uh, held strong convictions about their Jewish heritage and their Jewish customs and ways. And thank you, Lord, that they were uh, willing to, to speak up and to have a, a, a very uh, civil discourse and to uh, hear the scriptures and to listen to your spirit and to come to the realization that, uh, that we are saved by grace alone, apart from the keeping of the law. And Lord, thank you today that we can be part of your family, even though we, some of us are pretty different, Lord, and we have our differences for sure, but that you accept us on the basis of what Jesus has done, and you've made us part of your family. Help us to live as your family, Lord. Help us to, help us to, um, to treat others um, with the kind of, of, of appreciation and respect that, that comes from knowing you and being, being accepted by you in spite of our sin, because of your grace, especially, Lord, those who claim your name and profess your name, Lord, uh, that there might be unity in, in your church and that that unity would be in your gospel and that it would be not just something we embrace but something we, we um, engage on mission with. Uh, Lord, thank you today for your amazing grace for us. In Jesus' name, amen.